you have a Bible with you, I invite you to open it up to the book of Genesis. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 11 together this morning. We're only covering a short stretch of text. After the last couple of weeks where we've covered several chapters, we're only covering a few verses this morning and really just focusing in on two verses. Something happened on the way to obedience. I'm thinking of C.S. Lewis, Chronicles of Narnia, book five, The Silver Chair. Of course, the Chronicles of Narnia, you know, is an allegory of the Christian life. And in book five, the children have been sent by Aslan, who represents God. Those children have been sent on a mission to rescue a lost prince. And they're given words from Aslan that they're to repeat so that they remember what to do, and they remember how to save the prince. But something happened on the road as they were on the way to obedience. They meet a woman who turns out to be a witch. At this point in the story, the children have spent several sleepless nights. They're tired. They've gone without food. They're hungry. They're afraid. And this witch who meets them on the road is very alluring, and she tells them about a castle. She says they have to go to this castle at Harfang because there are warm beds and all kinds of food and comforts. And the thought of the castle catches the children's imagination, and they start to think about the castle, and eventually they forget all about Aslan, and they forget his words. And they forget about the lost prince that they were sent to save. Something happened on the way to obedience. And all they can think about now is the warm bed and the food that they're going to have and the comforts. And something happened to these children on a mission. I've seen this happen in the life of many followers of Christ. God gives them something to do. He lays a clear calling on their life in some way, and they start off strong. They begin to follow Jesus with enthusiasm. But at some point along the way to obedience, something happens. They get discouraged, or they get tired. They get distracted. And somewhere along the way, they forget about what God has called them to do, and they get focused on the warm bed and the delicious food and the comforts offered by the castle. In Genesis chapter 11, beginning in verse 27, we're introduced to a man who got distracted on his way to obedience. It's a man that it's very easy to read right over. We tend to skip from the story of the Tower of Babel and the blessing of Shem We tend to just kind of hop right over the end of chapter 11 to get to chapter 12. Chapter 12 is the good stuff. Chapter 12 begins the next major section of the book of Genesis, which focuses on the life of Abraham. But we skip over the life of Abraham's father, a man by the name of Terah. A very famous part of the book of Genesis is God calling Abraham to go to Canaan. And the rest of the next few chapters focuses on God's calling of Abraham and his journey to Canaan. But an often neglected detail in the story is that Terah was part of God's call to Canaan, and he began to fulfill that calling, but he stopped short. Something happened on the way 
to obedience. Let's look together. I'm going to read chapter 11, verses 27 through 32, and then we're going to focus on the last two verses. Look at what it says in verse 27. These are the family records of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in his native land in Ur of the Chaldeans during his father Terah's lifetime. Abram and Nahor took wives. Abram's wife was named Sarai, and Nahor's wife was named Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Sarai was unable to conceive. She did not have a child. Now, I want you just to make a little note about that because that's going to become important for the rest of the story over the next few weeks. Look at verse 31. Here's our two focus verses. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, Haran's son, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and they set out together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. And Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. One of the main features of the Genesis story is God's call to Abraham to leave his country, Ur, of the Chaldeans, and to go to a land that God would show him, the land of Canaan. We're going to trace Abram's journey into Canaan over the next several weeks. We read about this in Genesis chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 1, the Lord said to Abram, go from your land, your relatives, your father's house, to the land that I will show you. Chapter 12 and verse 4, so Abram went as the Lord had told him. In verse 5, they came to the land of Canaan. So this is clearly God's call to Abram, leave Ur, go to Canaan. Acts chapter 7 recounts this story that while in Ur, God's call came to Abram, and he left Ur, and he went to Canaan. But an often missed detail in the story is that while it was clearly God's call to Abram to leave Ur and go to Canaan, in some way, that call also involved Abram's father, Terah. And Terah actually participates in a portion of the journey from Ur toward Canaan, but he never gets there. He just completes part of the journey. Now, Scholars are all over the map in terms of Terah's role in this. They, they basically say that there are two options to consider. One is that Terah was called to go to Canaan because he was included in the, the family of Abram. In other words, God's call really was to Abram and his family, and Terah participated, almost a call by extension. Abram's called to Canaan, and because Terah is related to Abram, he was also called to Canaan. That's one possibility, that he's called to Canaan by virtue of his relationship to his now famous son, Abram. The other option, some have suggested that God's call actually originally came to Terah, the head of the family. And the head of the family begins to bring Abraham and his whole clan into Canaan. But somewhere along the way, Terah stops. And he dies, as we've just read. And so Abram steps up, and God then clarifies that call to Abram. And we come to know of this call to Canaan coming to Abraham because Abraham was the one who completed it. Terah only made it so far. 
And in other words, Terah has almost been eclipsed by Abraham because Terah never completed the call. Only Abraham did. Now, I don't know which one is right. Those are kind of a couple of options out there. But whether the call came originally to Terah or if it only came by extension to Terah, either way, Terah was clearly called to go to Canaan. This calling was not just to Abraham, it was also to Terah. Terah was a descendant of Shem. God had blessed Shem, God had blessed Shem's family, and Terah is a recipient of that blessing. He's in that line, that family of blessing. His son Abraham is going to be part of that blessing as well, obviously. And God intends to give Abraham's family and Terah's family and Shem's family a place to call home. He intends to give them a home, Canaan, the promised land. But they've got to leave behind Ur. They've got to leave behind what is home for them. They have to leave behind what is familiar to them to go to where God had called them to go. That was Terah's clear calling. Leave behind everything you know, go where I'm showing you. Leave behind Ur, go to Canaan. Leave behind the comfortable and the familiar and step out into the risky and the unknown and go to Canaan, this land that I've promised you. That was Terah's clear calling. So that's what obedience would have looked like for Terah. Leave Ur, go to the land of Canaan to possess it. Terah had every advantage to favor his obedience. He had a great heritage. Think about it. Think about who his ancestors were. He had ancestors in his family tree like Noah, a man who walked with God, a righteous and a blameless man, the man who built the ark and God spared and blessed his family. He had in his family tree Shem, the name that God had blessed in chapter 9 and chapter 10 and chapter 11. A great family, a great heritage, a great spiritual legacy. Terah also had a bright future. He was a recipient of the promises of God. He was in the family line of Shem. God had promised to bless and extend Shem's family. So not only does he have a great past behind him, he's got a great future in front of him. He had a wonderful family. It's not bad to have a son named Abraham. That's pretty good. How's your son doing on the honor roll, right? You can't beat Abraham. He's got an impressive son. The God of the universe is going to become known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those are Terah's son and grandson and great-grandson. He's got a wonderful family. And he had a clear call, a clear call to leave Ur and go to Canaan. He was not wondering like we sometimes do, what's God's will for my life? Sometimes we excuse ourselves because we say, well, his will wasn't that clear. We didn't really know what he was supposed to do, what we were supposed to do. Well, Terah didn't have that excuse. He had a great heritage. He had a great future. He had a great family. He had a clear calling. But something happened on the way to obedience. We see in verses 31 and 32 that Terah, although called by God, fails to fully obey God. You see it again. Look at verse 31. Terah takes his son Abram, Lot, Sarai. They set out together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. And Terah lived 205 years and he died in Haran. Now, let me give you a brilliant insight, all right? This is the kind of thing you have to go to seminary for. Haran is not Canaan. Did that blow your mind? 
Haran is not Canaan. God has called them to leave Ur and go to Canaan. Here they come to Haran. Haran is not Canaan. Haran is halfway to Canaan. They come to Haran and they stop and they settle and they stay. Now, listen, I know that Bible geography is not everyone's favorite subject. So we're not very familiar with Bible places. And so I want to put a map on the screen just to help us to visualize what's happening here. Okay, if you look down at the bottom right in the land of Sumer, there you'll see the city of Ur. This is where Terah is from and Abram and his whole family is from Ur, number one there. God has called them to go to Canaan. Now you can see Canaan if you go west, okay, just go, that's left, okay? Look at the second chicken on the third post, turn left at the Chick-fil-A and you'll come to Canaan right there. Right across the Arabian desert, you'll get over to Canaan. Now, that is not the direction that they go directly. They don't go as a, 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 flow, a, a, a crow flies. I was going to say a flow cries. That's not right. A crow flies. The reason for that is because of what's labeled there the Arabian desert. You don't want to cross the Arabian desert. Have you ever been down to Israel? Some of you have seen the Dead Sea area, everything that's east of the Dead Sea. It's just... The picture that comes to my mind is uh, Bugs Bunny in the Old West. There's tumbleweeds and, and that kind of thing. It is barren. And so you're not going to cross from Ur directly over to Canaan. No, you're going to follow the Euphrates River. Look at that. Going up northwest, the Euphrates River. Now, that's smart if you're going to travel. It's further by mileage, but it's, it's an easier journey because you're always close to a water source. So they're going to follow the path of the Euphrates River up to Haran. And then they're going to go from Haran. The plan is to go from Haran southwest down to Canaan. But they don't ever get there. From Ur to Haran is about halfway. From Ur to Haran is approximately 600 miles. From Haran down to Canaan is approximately 550 miles. So catch that. Terah travels approximately halfway. And then he stops and he settles, and he stays, and he dies in Haran before completing the journey, before ever making it down to Canaan where God had called him to go. Verse 31 tells us they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan, but when they came to Haran, they settled there. Now, I just want you to notice the phrase, they settled there. They settled there is an echo of the Babel story. You remember last week we looked at the Tower of Babel. Whenever you hear the word Babel, you ought to say, ooh, this is not good, the Babel story. You don't want to be like the people at Babel. Well, you remember what the people at Babel did? Look back up at chapter 11 and verses 1 and 2. The whole earth had the same language and vocabulary. And verse 2, as people migrated towards the east, they found a valley in the land of Shinar. And what does it say there? They settled there, okay? The author is intentionally using that language up in verse 31 to get you to remember what happened with Babel. Here, God has called, you remember back, let's rewind a little bit. Let's remember back to Genesis chapter one. The creation mandate, God tells Adam and Eve, uh, be fruitful and multiply, and then he tells them to what? You remember? Fill the earth. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God says, I want my glory to extend to the far corners of the earth. So I'm going to bless you. You're going to be fruitful. You're going to multiply and you're going to fill the earth. You come to chapter 11 and instead of filling the earth, what are the people doing? 
They're settling. They're gathering together. They're settling there. They find a comfy place to stay. They stop, they settle, they stay. They begin to build a big tower. And instead of filling the earth, they're settling. By the way, the same exact thing happens with the early church. In the New Testament, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says to the church as he ascends to the right hand of the Father, you're going to be my witnesses. He's going to send them to the ends of the earth. That's his goal for his church, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. But in Acts chapter 8 and verse 1, you find that they have not moved beyond Jerusalem. Instead of scattering, they gather. Instead of filling the earth with the glory of God, they stay put in one place. And so Acts chapter 8 verse 1, God allows a persecution to come to the church, and it says they scattered to the nations. Finally, they're going to fill the earth. So when you come to verse 31 and you see that Torah is settling there, you ought to say, ooh, this is not good. God has called him to go, not to settle. God has called him to be part of the creation mandate, to fill the earth, not to find a comfy corner of earth to stop and stay and settle. The language is intentional here. To say that Torah is in some way being like the people at Babel. In some way, he's not being obedient here. God has called him to go to Canaan. Instead, he gets to Haran, and he stops, and he settles, and he stays apparently for years. Some have suggested that Terah stayed in Haran between 25 and 60 years. Now, we don't know exactly how long he stayed, but he stayed there for multiple decades. And eventually, verse 32 says, he lived 205 years and he died in Haran. He died there without ever having fulfilled his calling. Now, the text doesn't tell us why he stopped. We just know that something interrupted his obedience. Maybe Terah was exhausted. I mean, traveling 600 miles is no small feat. And that's only halfway there. Still have another 550 miles to go. Maybe it was just a matter of Terah being tired. I mean, a 600-mile journey is no small journey, no matter what. And here he's traveling with his kids and his grandkids and their whole clan. How many of you have ever driven in a car 600 miles? Anybody ever done that? How many of you have ever driven 600 miles with your kids in the car? Anybody ever done that? Don't you wish there was an eject button sometimes, either for them or for you? It doesn't really matter by mile 600. That's a long way. It's a long way if you're going the speed limit, you know, 85 or whatever. <laughs> but imagine traveling this thing on foot with camels and kids. Can you imagine? When will we get there? How long till we're there? Well, the camel can only move so many miles per hour, kids. 600 miles of a journey. Maybe Terah just gets there. He looks, he asks around and Haran, hey, how far till Canaan? They say, oh, well, you're about halfway there, about 550 miles, and he just throws in the towel. That's it, I'm done. I'm exhausted, I'm tired. I mean, we can understand that, right? It's not easy serving the Lord. Sometimes you get tired, sometimes you get exhausted, sometimes you get worn out. If I'm truthful with you, one of the, one of the greatest needs that we have right here at Moberly, right now in this season, is we need people to serve in all kinds of ways. We need people who can serve our children. We need people who can serve as greeters. We need people who can serve as cart drivers. We need people who are willing to teach. We need people who are willing to take mission trips. We need all kinds of servants. More, more need than I can have time to share with you. 
And you know, can I just be blunt with you in grace? Sometimes it's like t- pulling teeth to get people to be willing to serve. I don't mean that to come down on anybody. It's just true. And it was true at my previous church and the church before that. And every one of my friends in ministry says they struggle with the very same thing, and we all think it's gotten worse since COVID. Because here's what happened with COVID, right? We're all busy. We're all rushing around, serving the Lord. It's tiring, exhausting. You're worn out, but you do it week in, week out, because the Lord's called you to do it. And then this thing happens called COVID, and everybody gets to just stop. And you realize how worn out you were. And then you stop, and now the only thing you're expected to do, you don't have to get up at seven in the morning and come serve children in the children's ministry. Now you can get up and grab your latte and do your yoga and watch your live stream. And it's kind of nice. Can we admit it? Kind of nice. And it's been real tough since COVID to get people to to re-engage and say, you know what? I'm willing to serve because I think people have kind of gotten used to not having to serve. And I think people have gotten very comfortable just not serving. It's been, it's kind of nice. You can say amen to that because you know it's true, right? It's kind of nice. I'll tell you, it was kind of nice for the preacher too. Preach my sermon midweek, catch it on video. Sunday morning, I'm watching with everybody else. It was a nice, slow morning. Sometimes you just get exhausted. And so you stop serving the Lord the way he's called you. You, you. Something happens. Something interrupts your obedience because you're just tired. So maybe that's the case with Torah. Maybe he was just exhausted. Maybe, though... It was distraction, not exhaustion. Maybe it was distraction. Maybe Torah became comfortable in Haran. We know some things about Haran. It's been excavated. So we've learned a lot about the ancient city of Haran. Haran was a very important city in that region. It was located at the intersection of two trade routes. It was located right next to the Euphrates River. And so there's a river valley The ground was fertile. It was good for crops. It's where you go if you want to accumulate wealth. Because it was a trade route, it was an economic center. This is a happening place. If you want to make an impact in this world, Haran might be the kind of place where you would want to stop and settle. It's a very cushy, comfortable place. It was a religious center. They had a massive temple that was built to the moon god. And so you had all kinds of people who would travel there to worship. It was an economic center because of the intersection of the trade routes. The comfortable beds and the delicious food at the castle of Harfang can look very good at the end of a 600-mile journey when you're hungry and tired. And maybe Torah just got distracted by the comforts of Harfang. Maybe Terah never intended to stay as long as he did and die in Haran. Maybe he just, maybe with all of the best intentions, just said, you know what? I just need a temporary break. I just need to rest and recoup. We've come 600 miles. We've got 550 miles to go. We're just going to take a temporary break. Maybe that was his intention, just to stay for a period of time, a temporary delay of obedience But then the longer he stayed, the less urgent God's calling on his life seemed to be. And maybe he just began to forget what God had called him to do. Maybe temporary neglect of God's call turned into permanent inattention. Maybe temporary delay became permanent disobedience. Could have been exhaustion. It could have been 
distraction. It could have been inattention. It might have been simple rebellion. You have plenty of examples of God calling people in the Bible to do something, and they run from that call. Maybe they start towards it and stop, or maybe they never start towards it in the first place. Because let's be honest, God's call is usually daunting. It is usually risky. It is usually dangerous. God rarely calls his people to do what is easy. Whoever came up with that statement that the safest place to be is the center of God's will, listen, there's a Greek word for that. You know what it is, right? Baloney. (laughs) To be in the center of God's will may not be the safest place you can be. It is the best place you can be, but it's often the riskiest place that you can be. And I think if we're really honest about what it means to follow Jesus as Lord, that he's our captain, he's our king, he's our commander in chief, that whatever he calls us to do, we will do. Wherever he calls us to go, we will go. If you're really honest about what that means, I'm not talking about the stuff that we say in sort of a trite way in the Christian church, you know, that, that uh, if you follow Jesus, that your life is gonna, you know, somehow get more comfortable, get easier, you know, that your kids are gonna become obedient and your bank account's gonna be full and your poodle's gonna be obedient. The Bible doesn't say any of those things. The Bible does promise a cross. The Bible promises suffering. Uh, The Bible promises all who will live godly in Christ Jesus, Paul says, shall suffer persecution. How does that sound? So maybe Terah is looking ahead to Canaan, and we know what's going to happen in Canaan, right? This is going to be risky business. This is going to be warfare. It's going to be conflict with tribes. It's going to be driving wicked tribes out of the land so that you can settle it. Maybe he's looking at ahead to the daunting, dangerous, risky assignment that God has given this family, and he says, no, thank you. I will run. It's like Jonah. God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh. Who wants to go to Nineveh? If you're a Jewish person, Nineveh is the last place on earth that you want. It'd be like an Astros fan going to Yankee Stadium, (laughs) except much, much worse. The Ninevites hated Israel with a passion. Why would you ever want to go to Nineveh? And so Jonah 1 says God called him to get up and go to Nineveh. The language is very clear. He gets up and flees to Tarshish, the polar opposite direction. Why? Because going to Nineveh is tough. To preach mercy to people you want to see dead, to preach grace to your enemies, who would want to do that? I've known a lot of people who run from God's call on their life because they know exactly what that might mean. Amy and I once were called to a church that we didn't want to go to. Not this one, okay? Just to clarify. (laughs) Just to clarify. A number of years ago, we were in a very comfortable church, very comfortable situation, very happy with where we were. And God began to call us into a season of hard obedience. And I... I looked under the hood, (laughs) and it was terrifying. And I closed the hood, and I said, no, thank you, God. We were talking with this church. I saw there was dysfunction there. There was division there. This would be hard. And I said, no, thank you. We are happy where we're at. We don't want to. No. So I pulled my name out of that entire process. We, no, we, we can't do it. 
I was looking into the pit, seeing where that would lead. No, thank you. Two months later, that church called me back and they said, we're convinced God is calling you. Will you pray about this again? (sighs) Yes, Lord, right? Because you can't say no, Lord. You say, Lord, you have to say yes. No, Lord, is a contradiction in terms. So we prayed about it for two weeks. We became convinced God was calling us. And you know what? It was as hard as I thought it would be. In fact, it was harder than I thought it would be. But God clearly called us. Sometimes God just calls you to a season of hard obedience. Are you willing to say yes, Lord? Terah may have just been running from a call because he knew what it would mean. Could have been exhaustion, could have been distraction, could have been inattention, could have just simply been rebellion. We don't know why Terah stopped. We just know that he did. He set out for a destination, but he settled for a distraction. And he never fulfilled his calling. He dies there, never having gotten around to finishing what God had called him to do. You know, being called is one thing. Fulfilling your calling is something else. Yusef Emanuel has put it this way. He says, Satan is not nervous that God has called you. He gets nervous when you begin fulfilling your calling. There's a big difference between being called by God. God can call you to do any number of things. As long as you don't get around to it, Satan doesn't have to worry. If he knows that you're going to stop before finishing because you're tired or because you're distracted or because you just neglect or because you're running from it, then Satan doesn't have to worry about you. I wonder how many of us have started towards obedience, but something happened on the way and we never fulfilled our calling. Let me be quick to say, though, that even though Terah did not fulfill his calling, you end on a down note in verse 32, death in Haran. That's not good. We still see God's grace here. God is still going to be gracious in the midst of failure. God is going to be gracious to extend the call to Terah's son, Abraham. That's what happens in chapter 12. The call moves from dad to son. It's amazing how many times. In fact, I was talking to somebody this week who said, you know what? God called my dad to ministry. He never fulfilled the calling, but then he gave me the call. Sometimes that happens. Here, It's a generational thing. God is passing on the blessing, passing on the calling to Abraham. Here's the grace of a second chance. There's grace here. But think about what Terah missed out on. God was certainly gracious to allow Abraham to receive the blessing, but Terah missed the blessing. What would it have looked like if Terah had fulfilled his calling and been the one to lead his family into Canaan? Listen, I wonder how much of God are we missing out on because of simple disobedience? How much of... God's calling on our life. Do we just simply not be able to, we we don't experience, we don't experience the blessing of what he's calling us into. We don't experience the things that he has for us simply because we've settled and stayed. We also see that God was gracious here because he gave Terah many years in Haran in which at any point uh, 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 Terah could have become obedient. You see, right there in verse 32, Terah lived 205 years and he died in Haran. Now, 
We don't know how long he was in Haran, but again, somewhere between 25 and 60 years. That's a lot of time to become obedient and fulfill his calling. At any point, Terah could have said, you know what? We got distracted. You know what? We got interrupted. You know what? We, we stopped obeying, but it's time to pack up, kids. We're going to fulfill our calling. He could have done that after one year. He could have done it after five years. He could have done it after 15 years. He could have done it after 20 years. At any point, God gave him length of days in which he could have said, let's get back to the business of obedience. He never did it. But this tells us something very important. It means that if you're still here, there's still time. If you've been distracted on the way to obedience, if something has happened to get you off course, if you have been inattentive to God's calling on your life, or you've been rebellious and you've run from his calling, or, or maybe you've been distracted and become comfortable with the delights of the castle of Harfang, or, or maybe you're just exhausted and you've thrown in the towel. If you're still breathing and if your heart is still beating, if you're still here today, there is still time to obey. That's a good place for an amen. If you're still here, there's still time. If God has still given you the opportunity to breathe and to live. Maybe you'd say, Pastor, you know what? I have, been, I have been distracted. I've not been the husband that I need to be to my wife, or I've not been the wife that I need to be to my husband. We've not been the parents to our children that God has called us to be, or, or we've not engaged with a church family and been in community like we need to be, or, or God called me to do something years ago and I forgot about it, or I just left it alone and I've not done it. There's still time and there's grace in that. And maybe Joel 2 will be true of you that the Lord will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. Wouldn't that be a great thing today if you say, Pastor, I've been distracted. I've been inattentive. I've not fulfilled my calling, but it's time. And today, even though I've not been the husband I should have been, today I'm going to drive a stake in the ground and I'm going to turn. I've not been the parent I need to be, but today I'm going to put a stake in the ground and I'm going to start to lead my family and lead my kids the way I'm supposed to be doing. No, I've, I've neglected God's people and I've not been part of a family of faith, but today I'm going to drive a stake in the ground. Today's going to be the day where I pick up and fulfill the calling that God has put in my life. Nothing blesses my heart more than when I see a father come to me and say, listen, I have not led my kids well. I've not had them in church and I've not led well in the home and we've not been in the scriptures, but I'm repenting and I'm gonna start new today. And then you see that dad start to bring those kids to church and you see those kids start to grow up in church and they start to love Jesus all because dad was willing to put a stake in the ground and say, I'll fulfill my calling that God has put in my life. And if you still have breath, you still have time to fulfill your calling. So let me ask you, what has God called you to do? Whatever it is, don't stay in Haran. Listen, if, if this can happen to Terah, who had all the advantages to obey, if, if it can happen to Terah, it can happen to you. So if God calls you to do something, do it without delay. Look to people like Joseph, who did what was right, did what God called him to do, even when it meant that he would be done wrong. Look to people like Moses, who obeyed, even when he felt inadequate to the task. Look to people like Daniel, who obeyed, even though there were severe consequences. Look to people like Isaiah, who was sent to do a difficult task and serve a stubborn people, but the text tells us he set his face like flint. 
And he bravely fulfilled his calling. Look to Jesus. Who, in the Garden of Gethsemane, looking ahead to the terror of the cross, prayed, sweating drops of blood, Father, if there is any other way, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not my will, but your will be done. What's keeping you from obedience? Might I suggest to you today that whatever is keeping you from obeying God is probably your true God. Whatever it is that is keeping you from obedience to God probably is the God that you really worship. You say, it'll be tough to obey God. Well, maybe comfort is your God. Maybe you say, it'll be costly to obey God. Well, maybe security is your real God. You say, it's going to be hard and dangerous and uncomfortable to obey God. Well, maybe comfort and pleasure in this world is your real God. I don't know what it is, but whatever is keeping you from obeying God probably is your God. Are you fearful to fulfill your calling? Consider all of the advantages that are yours in Christ to obedience. Think about it. You're not left alone to do this. You have Christ who goes before you, the one who blazed the trail, the one who Hebrews 12 says endured the cross so that you and I can endure the race. Our righteous older brother who goes first. We follow in his steps. You have the spirit of God within you. God's presence and God's power to give you the ability to do what God has called you to do. Some of you maybe have not fulfilled your calling because you don't think you can do it. Well, that's pretty good. I don't want to just do what I think I can do. I don't want to just be obedient up to the point of my ability. God often calls people to do what is beyond their ability so that his ability comes into play. God often brings us to the edge of what you can do so that God can step in and do what he can do. Listen, God doesn't just call us to do what we have the natural gifting and ability to do. God often calls us to step outside of our abilities and outside of our comfort zone to get up to the edge and beyond of what we can do in our own strength. And then God's Holy Spirit empowers us to do what only he can do in his strength. I don't know about you, but I want to live there. It's very uncomfortable. Amen? Very uncomfortable to live in that space where you're beyond your ability. Frankly, to be pastor of this church is beyond any natural gifting or ability I might have. I've got certain natural gifts, certain natural abilities I can juggle. I can play the trumpet. I can do some things. To lead a church of God's people, I don't have the ability to do that. There's no gifting in me to do that. Any good that I do in my life or in my ministry is simply a result of God working in me. This is why we have to say, you must increase and I must decrease, right? We need to live in that space where we're having to be less and less so that God can be more and more. We have to go outside of our comfort zone and what we can do so that God's spirit can come and take over and do something that only he can do. You have the spirit of God that can empower you to do what you and your own strength are not comfortable to do. And not only that, You're not left alone to do it. Not only do you have Christ who goes before you and the spirit of God who dwells within you, you've got a church that gathers around you. A family of faith, brothers and sisters who Hebrews 10 tells us are here to provoke and stir up love and good works. You're having a family of faith who can walk arm in arm beside you and help you fulfill the calling that God has put on your life. So what has God called you to do? Has he called you today to put your faith in Jesus? 
to follow Christ, to make that decision, to be all in for Jesus. Don't delay your obedience. Don't stay in Haran. Has God called you to commit to go public with your faith through baptism? Don't delay your obedience. Has God called you to be a member of this church family or another church family? Don't stay in Haran. Has he called you? And I know he has called some of you to serve him in full-time ministry as a pastor or a missionary or, or a counselor or some other kind of minister. Don't delay your obedience. Has God called you to step out and serve in some way rather than just sitting and soaking to stand and serve, to use your spiritual gifts in some way to minister to others rather than just receiving ministry from others. If God has called you to do that, don't delay obedience. Has he called you to go on a mission trip, to share the gospel with someone in your life? Has he called you to contribute to God's work by giving tithes and offerings rather than just consuming? Don't delay your obedience. Has he called you to turn from sin? Maybe there's been something you've been indulging quietly, secretly, and you know God has been calling you to turn from that, and you've been putting it off. Don't stay in Haran. Is there some other matter of obedience? God has been tapping you on the shoulder. He's been trying to get your attention about it. You've been ignoring him. You've been inattentive. You've been disregarding. You've been delaying. What do we tell our kids? Delayed obedience is disobedience. Don't let something happen on the way to obedience. So here's what I want us to do this morning. As we close, I want to do something a little different in terms of the way we close our service. I want to just have a time of an open altar. I want to ask you this morning to consider what God has called you to do. What calling has he placed on your life? And then to take action, to yield. Yield to God. Submit yourself to him and to fulfill your calling. Don't delay it. Don't put it off. Don't ignore it. But today, on this December morning, to say, God... Whatever you call me to do, I will do. So we're going to have a time as we sing in a moment. There will be pastors and ministers here who are available to pray for you. Some of you may just need to quietly slip out of your seat and kneel in confession and repentance before the Lord. Others of you might need encouragement or prayer. But I want to ask you to consider a couple of questions in the quietness of these moments. I'm going to put them on the screen for you. I want you just to ask Jesus this. Jesus, is there anything you want to say to me? And then Jesus, is there anything you want me to do? Would you take a few moments in the quietness of this space to just ask the Lord those two questions. Is there anything you want to say to me? Is there anything you want me to do? And then you just sit with that for a few moments. I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing. And if you need to move from Haran and get on with what God has called you to do, 
I invite you as we sing to come and kneel and pray or come visit with a minister about that decision. They'll pray. They'll pray for you. They'll help you. Father, we want to be submitted and yielded. Lord, we need more of you and less of us. Lord, for the distractions and temptations of this world that can so easily get us off track, we repent. Lord, help us to turn. Help us to fulfill our calling in the power of your spirit for the glory of King Jesus. We pray this in his name.